0: As barheads, dearly Father, thank you so much once again for this privilege, this opportunity to gather together as family in the unity of the faith. Father, thank you for always speaking to us plainly, up front, in ways that are inescapable truths that must be digested by each and every one of us. Father, thank you for making the spiritual life obvious to those who are humble. Thank you for humbling those that are arrogant. Father, we weep for those that are still lost. We know that this good fight that we're fighting is really to complete that great commission that your son gave us What a privilege it is to partake in it. May we never become familiar with everything that you've given us to partake in said things, even the air we breathe, even the health that we have, our contacts in this world, our loved ones, our families, our friends, even our business associates, all of them, if they're not saved, are opportunities to bring glory to you so that we might enjoy additional brothers and sisters in Christ for all of eternity. Thank you for that opportunity, and thank you for keeping our minds set on the things above. We are most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work on the cross to make an evening like this even a reality. You just ask for your blessings on it. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. How's that AC? It's a little loud. Is it cool enough in here? Yeah, let's let's kill it again. Why are the apostles so encouraging by grace? They were prepared. Part fifty five. Just a quick note on this past week's lessons um, up here on the board. Some pretty strong language coming from this pulpit uh, Sunday and Tuesday. Uh, Just a note that you need to understand. While your pastor was commissioned to express his distaste for his congregation's lack of commitment, the lessons were not about him. That is the very last thing I want you to think about. Yes, there were some emotions that came out on Sunday, obviously, but the lessons were 100% about you. You have to realize that. Do not look at the vessel. Uh, Look at the emphasis from the vessel But know that i'm filled and that if my heart is broken it's not for me that ship has sailed so just remember that uh, when he commissions your pastor and don't think of me think of the office when he commissions your pastor to stand behind the pulpit uh, and then a teacher afterwards to um, emphasize it again uh, just remember that the lessons are not about the the people they're about you they're always a hundred percent about you And so what I need you to understand is very simple. Any indignation you saw coming out of this vessel was not about any personal affront to me. It was not about any personal affront to me. It was about a personal affront to the Lord. That's who I'm standing up here for. So in other words, I suppose it'd be really easy to see the vessel in what I'll call full animation mode, (laughs) and think, "Ah, poor pastor. But that's you being arrogant and missing the point. I am the Lord's under-shepherd in this local assembly. My job is to express whatever the Holy Spirit desires, Christ's spirit to be precise, which if you get right down to it, is no different than me being merely a dumb waiter serving you some food that the cook in the back has whipped up for you personally. I'm just the deliverer. If you dislike or like the food, you cannot look at me. So please don't ever make that mistake. Is it true that my heart breaks and it's nice to receive encouragement? Indeed. However, the most important thing to me is that you understand that I'm fine. It's you. It's you all that the Spirit wants you to look at. Don't make the mistake of looking at me. I'm fine. What you saw on Sunday from me, from this vessel, exists, has existed in me for a very long time. I have no expectations. Read the end of John 2. I have no expectations of men. I understand. I live with one, right? I have no expectations uh, other than I want you to grow. And I know that uh, the Lord can, can do that in all of you. So it's really you that the Spirit wants you to look at. So just remember that you are the cause for these lessons, not my broken heart. I'm not the cause. You are. So I hope you understand that the point here is really this warning that... Uh, I had Scott read to you on Tuesday that we are under unprecedented attack in our church. And by the way, thank you, Deacon Johnson, for sharing your heart on Tuesday. Um, We are under unprecedented attack in our church. If you don't see it, you're either passively ignoring it or actively part of the problem. So wake up. When I say wake up, I speak as the Bible speaks on this topic. Go to Ephesians 5.1. Ephesians 5.1. So that's what these lessons have really been about. Um, you know, it's it it really is excuse me, edifying to relate to the apostles and be encouraged by them. Uh, in this, but let's face it, um, the apostles, we never we don't know them. We didn't we don't know them personally, we know of them from the Bible. But you didn't, I mean, you don't know Peter, do you? You don't know John. You don't know any of these guys. And so all you know is something academic, which really means that the spiritual life is not about necessarily those fine men, but you. And everybody likes to talk about, you know, oh, the spiritual life and and how difficult it is and suffering and how I'm suffering for Jesus and I'm, you know, it's this and it's hard but it's just this when push comes to shove are you or are you not committed to the truth about yourself first uh, look at ephesians 5 1 that's what he's been saying therefore be imitators of god as beloved children and walk in love just as christ also loved you and gave himself up for us an offering and a sacrifice to god as a fragrant aroma but immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints and there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting which are not fitting but rather giving of thanks do you get what he's getting at do you understand when do you usually you know when is it when is there often fil- filthiness and silly talk and coarse jesting when you were the world When you're, you know, uh, fellowshipping with people that have no regard whatsoever or affinity for Christ. At least not in that moment. (laughs) Verse 5. For this you know with certainty, that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Those are unbelievers in view. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Stop frolicking with the world. With people that, again, have no regard for your Savior, your Lord. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord and I had this discussion with someone you know what is what whatever you're doing is that pleasing to the Lord ask yourself that's the litmus test is what I'm doing right now the choices I've been making in my own life in all honesty In all fairness, with all excuses and justifications aside, is what I'm doing and thinking and how I'm living right now pleasing to the Lord. And you know you can answer that question at any moment in time. You know right when you're about to make that poor decision. You know, DJ talked about making some poor decisions as of late. And he repented, basically. Uh, As we all should. And so that's what he's saying. What are you doing? Is what you're doing, uh, how you're, is how you're living your life pleasing to the Lord? Verse 11, Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. And where would you start that endeavor? With yourself. With yourself, un, unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. Start with yourself. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light, is truth. And that's for years now I've been using that catchphrase, you know, um, seeing it all as truth. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Just What we're after is just the truth. Just give me the truth. I want to see it so I, can, so I can deal with it Honestly in my own life, and maybe in the lives of others, maybe in the lives of how I interact with other people. I just want to know, is, is this good or evil? Is what I'm doing pleasing to the Lord or not? And why are they pursuing me? Are they uh, my friends, my loved ones, my family members even? Are they pursuing me commendably? good, Intrinsically good with the heart of Christ himself? Or are they trying to consume me? Are they using me? Are they selfish lovers? Have I a utility to them? And take away all other variables, all other ties, and just be plain and honest. For this reason, it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Therefore, be careful how you walk. This has been the warning. Not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time. Because the days are evil. Again, making the most of your time. Every day is precious, every day is a gift. Do you ever have the right to blow a gift? Do you really ever have the right just to say, you know what? It's been a tough week. I'm going to blow off the Word of God. That doesn't even register. That doesn't make any sense. The one place you should be going when you're really tired and worn out is the Word of God. But a lot of people will go, I'm really tired. Church or reading my Bible or praying is a a chore to me. And I don't feel like doing it. So I'm going to go to the world to be comforted. I just wrote a blog. It's going to come out on Saturday. It talks about God is the comforter. God comforts the depressed. So says the Bible. That's the name of the blog. Making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine. That's a physical, actual statement, by the way, my friends. In other words, don't get drunk. That's not your release. If you've had a tough week, the first thing you should hit is not the bottle, it's the Bible. I should hey, I should put that on a like a poster with an eagle. No, with a tipped over bottle and make it like stylistic. You know what I'm saying? first thing you should hit is not the bottle but the Bible. Whoa, that Pastor Ed guy, he's just so suave. Don't get drunk. Why? Because that's dissipation. But be filled with the Spirit speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Again, the point on the board, we are under unprecedented attack in our church. If you don't see it, you're either passively ignoring it or actively part of the problem. At face value, you've got your under-shepherd telling you we're under attack. That alone, if you don't hear what's coming from the pulpit, that alone means you're passively ignoring what the Spirit's trying to say to you. And don't say, oh, that's for this person and that's for that person. I don't see it for me. Otherwise, you wouldn't be sitting here. I've never, honest, in, in my entire tenure as a pastor, I've never, ever known of one lesson that didn't, wasn't meant for every single individual. Every single individual. Don't say, oh, well, I've never made that sin. Well, maybe you have up here. I don't know. Oh, I don't have that problem. Maybe you really do, and you just don't know it. Maybe you need to do a little more soul-searching instead of people-searching or world-searching. Or investing in your flesh specifically the spirit has given you uh, all the following to think about again and this is coming this might be the third time i think i've seen it in our lessons beware any person who's trying to take you away from the love of god is an enemy of god any person they could be the nicest chap on the planet they could be doing you favors even And and, and you're saying, this is great. This is like, you know, the grace of God. But if the ulterior motive by the kingdom of darkness is to remove you or take you away from uh, the love of God, then that person or thing is an enemy of God. And that's how you have to think about it. So the Word of God demands that I tell you these things when I see them. That's what you have to understand. Go to 1 Peter 5.1. 1 1 Peter 5.1. And this is absolutely um, in conjunction with our study of the apostles because you can imagine that Jesus Christ had to have these same discussions with all not just His disciples, but specifically even His apostles. Like, you guys are going to be targeted individuals now. Do you understand? You're going to be targeted because you represent me. So don't be fooled. First Peter 5, 1. Therefore, I exhort the elders, he's talking about the pastors, the pastors among you, as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. And remember our um, study on Sunday, Galatians 4.17. Think of sought in a commendable manner. Eagerly sought. It's good to be eagerly sought in a commendable manner. That was Galatians 4.17. And that's the dictate, if you would, to the shepherds, me, to eagerly seek you. For your own benefit, not for me. It shouldn't matter if I'm doing cartwheels up here or crying like a baby. The point is that these lessons are for you. And whatever it takes is, has, has been the motto since day one. I think any shepherd worth their salt is under that um, type of thinking that it's whatever it takes. You want me to be the fool? Did not Paul say that? Let me be a fool for a while. Paul said that, whatever it takes. Verse 3, "...nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock." That's right, an example. Verse 4, "...and when the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ, appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You younger men, likewise be subject to uh, to your elders, to the pastors." And all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. We haven't heard that a thousand times in the last month. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. This is what Sunday was and Tuesday. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert, don't be intoxicated with the world. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Up here in the board, on that idea of be of sober spirit, do not live carelessly. It's really easy to do. Do not live carelessly. Your enemies are looking for you to let your guard down. And they're smarter, they're smarter than you think. They're smarter than we like to give cr- them credit for. They don't just say, I'm going to get you right now because it's 5.30 a.m. and you're nice and lively and alert. No, they're going to the, wear you down all day and then come, I don't know, 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock when you're, you know, you're really hungry and you haven't eaten yet or something like that. That's when they're going to get you. That's when they're going to get you. They're not stupid. They're very patient. They've been here longer than we have. So, your enemies are looking for you to let your guard down. A perfect example is with physical intoxication, which we just saw in Ephesians 5.18, dissipation. Haven't had your your supper yet. Where's the keg? That's not funny. People are like, who the heck has a keg? I don't know. Where's the bottle of wine, ladies? Right? Oh, but it's only a little bottle of wine. Yeah, but that little glass of wine is as much as this much beer, ladies. So stop being all dainty, thinking you're, it's not alcohol, because alcohol is not different from women. As a matter of fact, it's more effective in the veins of a woman than it is in a man. Don't turn to that. That's what he's saying. He's going to take advantage. He's going to weigh you down. He wants you to turn to the bottle. He wants you to turn to your favorite Whatever fixes and that's hardly the extent of it it's not this trust me these lessons are not about drinking or anything else that's hardly the extent of it the idea is that be of sober spirit be on the alert you can't be on the alert if you're dissipated first peter 4 7 the end of all things is near therefore be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer Hold your thumb there. Go to 1 Peter 1.13. 1 Peter 1.13. I just want to show you some more on this. On this idea of being sober in spirit. Peter talks an awful lot about it. Peter, you know, foot-in-the-mouth-itis guy. That guy. 1 Peter 1.13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As what? Obedient. As obedient children. Obedient. You know what obedience means? It means obey the authorities in your life. You're looking at one of them. Obedient means obey the authorities. The God-given authorities in your life. So if your pastor is yelling and pounding his pulpit and saying, wake up, obey, wake up. If he's saying, look at your life, look at your life. And don't do it passively. And look for justification. Be honest about it. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in in your ignorance, But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your what? Oh, man, there's that word. The rubber hits the road. You mean I can't just come and learn, you know, quote-unquote doctrines and, you know, write down in my notebook and, you know what I mean. I can't do that? No. No. Life lives. Life is animated. We have to make decisions. We have thoughts. And we can't live carelessly. I know that, you know, some people are so gun-shy about legalism and religion that they run in the complete opposite direction and forget about all that the Bible talks about your behavior. What come, you know, what the things that you say to each other, the things that you receive from one another, the things that you open yourself up to, the things that you tolerate, even. Different Jesuses from different spirits, different Gospels. All those things are part of this thing of behavior. How are you handling your life? Verse 16. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. If you address as Father the one who impartially judges according to each one's what work, that includes your behavior. I hate to be the, you know, the person who tells you this, but that includes your behavior. Conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. Conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. Fear has embedded in the word, I've taught you this, the idea of respect. And you're supposed to be, verse 14, what kind of children? Obedient children. So, in other words, conduct yourselves in fear as obedient children during the time of your stay on earth. Be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Do you get it? Why? This isn't about just throttling you and saying, oh, let's just take all the fun out. It's about protecting you. (laughs) Because the so-called fun out there is after your soul. Do you understand? It, 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 the, the, if, if it wasn't fun, there'd be no attractiveness to it, and the, Satan would have no entree into your life. It has to be made fun. There has to be a certain attractiveness to it. So he makes it really fun. I mean, while you're drunk, not that I've ever been drunk. <laughs> That's a joke, obviously. Right? My mother's like, I can attest. It. <laughs> Thanks, Mom. Right? It's kind of fun in the moment. Just saying. But it's also dissipation. So conduct yourself, even your behavior. Not Pastor Ed. That's the word of God, my friends. And you know what? God is impartial. If God is impartial, then we ought to be, if we indeed fear Him. This means no partiality towards family, friends, loved ones. This means not becoming intoxicated with or because of such people. Just because they're family, friends, or loved ones does not mean that there's a free pass. It doesn't, as a matter of fact, the Bible tells us to beware of people that are exceptionally close to us because they're the ones that can wound us the most. I took you to uh, um, David's account. Not the ones from without, but the ones that were right here. Those are the ones that really damaged me. The ones that called me friend. So if God is impartial, then we ought to be impartial. And it means not giving people free passes just because we care for them. And certainly not becoming intoxicated. And I'm using the figurative term this time, as well as the literal. Not becoming intoxicated with or because of such people. Okay, go back to 1 Peter 5.8. 1 Peter 5.8. What does it say? It says, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Why? Because he is Lord. And your Lord is dictating to you what your life should be, wrapped in who you should be living for, who you should be avoiding, And what pitfalls there are. And what angles that Satan, the kingdom of darkness, and even your flesh will take to trip you up. And then he uses practical things. Practical um, individuals like this one that you don't always want to hear from. To say, you know, wake up. It's just another angle. It's another tool that he uses to say, wake up. And that's grace. Again, the whole reason for these powerful messages as of late, can't say it enough. It's just a warning. We are under unprecedented attack in our church. If you don't see it, you're either passively ignoring it or actively a part of the problem. So wake up. And I encourage you, honestly. I've had several people um, talk to me already and share with me already. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me. I am here for you. I'm not one of those pastors that's not gonna call you back if I'm not available right then. I will call you back. If you've got something on your heart and you've got a you know something that's bothering, you, call me. That's part of the reason I'm here. Don't now, don't be calling me about. <laughs> try to keep it appropriate. You know what I mean? <laughs> I like this red dress, but there was this purple one too. Uh, but God said, I really want, He really wants me to have this red one because it's on sale at Marshall's. But this one's good too. Don't do that. Don't do that to me. But if you have any serious questions about spiritual matters, that is why I'm a, you can disagree with me, but I'm a good listener. I will listen to you, but you're going to get the truth, which is probably why I don't get too many calls. I really don't. People usually don't call me because they know they're going to get something probably that they don't want to hear. But if you're honest and you're humble and you want to hear the truth, I'm not a bad person to start with. I'm very objective, too, because I'm not emotionally involved in whatever situation you're involved in. Okay, with that said, let's press on with our primary course of study, and as we do so, let's keep the closing verse from Sunday's message in our hearts. 2 Corinthians 10.5 in the Amplified, we are destroying sophisticated arguments and every exalted and proud thing that sets itself up against the true knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought and purpose captive to the obedience of Christ. Every thought and purpose captive to the obedience of Christ. And just to put that in lay terms, our goal is undistracted devotion to the Lord. Our attitude is one of... Commitment. Commitment. That's why the whole spiritual adultery thing fits so well. Because he is our husband. We're betrothed to him right now. If you're saved, you are his bride. And he's gone to make a place for you. And he's going to come back and take you. So it it is adulterous to turn your back on him to disobey him to not submit to him and he is also by the way John 1:14 the living word John 1:1 14 the word he is the word so if you're going to commit to him this is where you start that endeavor so our goal is undistracted devotion to the lord our attitude is one of commitment so all of that takes us back to our primary course of study where where this all began up here in the board uh, here's what the apostles lacked uh, we've been through understanding humility faith we've been on commitment that's how we ended up where we're at um, funny how things dovetail and then we got uh, power to look at we've already noted the following i'll go quickly Luke 5.11, when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. So we know they were at least committed enough to believe and follow him. For what purpose, as, as Jesus said in earlier Luke 5.10, do not fear, from now on you will be catching men. And they said, okay, we'll commit. However, as we're about to see again with Peter regarding his denying he knew Jesus, The apostles lacked commitment. So they had enough, but they also lacked. Sound familiar? I mean, you're all here, so you had enough commitment to come tonight. But you're definitely going to go home tonight and there's going to be some area of your life that you lack commitment. Why? Because you don't have all faith. And that's where grace comes in. You have to be gracious to yourself, too. You know, people get real uptight about, geez, you know, I've been at this for so long. I'm just, I really just, kind of stink at the spiritual life. Hey, look, join the crowd. We all kind of stink at it. Uh, From time to time, we get better. He sanctifies us. But the worst thing you can do is get depressed about it. Because that's when you give up. And the last thing you want to do is give up. So do not fear. From now on, you will be catching men, Christ said. However, again, as we've seen in the past, Peter uh, failed. But our encouragement, of course, when we learn these things is that we too lack commitment. Just like the apostles, we lack commitment inversely proportionate to our faith and maturity throughout our lives. So on the topic of commitment, we pause for a moment, if you recall. Sort of coming out of the mind shaft now. We pause for a moment on some words that Jesus conveyed to his disciples. Go to Luke 9.62. Luke 9.62. You know, as you're turning to Luke 962, think of what Paul said. Paul said, listen, we're in a race. If you're going to run a race, you run to what? Win. Um, You're not going to really run a lengthy race, a race that's as long as life for most of us, if you're not fit. So there's an idea of spiritual fitness in view. Look at 962. But Jesus said to him, No one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. I don't know one believer that hasn't looked back and and wondered even about their own faith. Just because you lack a certain amount of faith and you look back and you're wondering and you're questioning your own faith doesn't mean you're not saved. It just means you're not totally fit. So up here on the board, I gave you the original Greek, it means suitable, fit, useful, fit because well-adapted, hence ready for use in context. In other words, if you're constantly looking over your shoulder, guess what you're not doing? Guess what the plow's doing? You're out in the street, tearing up some tar. You're know, in your neighbor's yard because you're looking behind you. You're not fit. You're supposed to be looking ahead. You're like, you know, hey, you know, this kind of a thing, right? Some of us are like, yeah, look behind me. It's like an S curve. It's like ampersand signs, you know. Got a little creative in there, it's like crop circling. So, it means all these things. It does not refer to salvation, but to service. A believer's fitness is a function of their faith. The more faith, the more fit. So what do we pray for? Increase my faith. And as we're going to see, that's directly related to power. So we ended on Thursday evening with a broader observation regarding fitness as a general rule of life. That wasn't Thursday. That was a couple of Thursdays ago. Spiritual fitness. Like any form of fitness, spiritual fitness requires consistent exercise, resistance training, and a commitment to the program. Doing what you're doing right now. You're, you're right now you're doing this, whether you believe it or not, spiritually. You're lifting weights, right? It's resistance training because you come in here and sometimes the things that you're hearing, like say on Sunday, I don't know, probably for some of you, you don't really like. It's like someone's got the bar and they're going and you're trying to curl it and you're like, what's going on? I'm actually going negative. Yeah, we call those negative reps. You're going negative, right? Fitness though is a way of life, a mindset in every sense, even physically and spiritually. We peak in heaven. We peak in heaven. In other words, fitness is a mindset. Um, your body, soul, and spirit. This thing, we have to use it. We have to walk out there to evangelize people. We have to be spiritually fit, motivated to do so. So consider the whole package, in other words. We're not trying to save this decrepit body. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that you have a fitness as a mindset. Whatever it takes to run this race, Think about it that way. We've been on the topic of commitment now for some time, which has instigated many good lessons on the topics of grace, faith, and even love being our motivation. So we need to finish this work up again. This is where we were on commitment. We've already uh, referenced Luke 5.11 several times. Let's look at the second scriptural reference in our framework on commitment. Go to uh, Luke 22.31. Luke 22:31. So again, we're just sort of backing out of the mine shaft a little bit, picking up where we left off. Luke 22, 31. Simon, Simon, that's Peter. Behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when, once you have turned again, You notice the absolute um, statement there. Once you have turned again, there wasn't any doubt. Strengthen your brothers. Again, from our earlier study of this, up here in the board, this is very encouraging stuff, my friends, because Jesus Christ still, to this day, has an active role in saving you daily. He's still up there praying for you. His Spirit intercedes for you. He is your mediator. He intercedes for you that your faith may not fail. The emphasis should not be placed on the potentiality of failure, but rather the effectiveness of the Lord's prayer. How effective do you think his prayers are for you? I mean, if I want anybody praying for me, it's him. I'm saying. But I have prayed for you, verse 32. Peter's imperfect faith did fail at times, but it was never fully eclipsed. And that's what the original uh, speaks to, uh, being eclipsed. That never happens to a true believer. He always turned again. Verse 33. But he said to him, Lord, with you I am ready to go both to prison and to death. So here goes, you know, foot in the maltitis guy, right? Da-da-da, I'm gonna save the day. <laughs> Same guy who said, you know, may it never be. And what Christ said, get behind me, Satan. You're thinking the way a man's thinking. That's that's a man speaking right there. Is it not true? Right? Because if he was honest, obviously. And maybe he was just not, maybe he was emphatically, and you know how it is, sometimes like, I'll totally do it. And then the time comes, you can't do it. I don't know. I'm not judging Peter. I'm just saying it didn't, didn't, didn't last very long. Verse 34, and he said, I say to you, Peter, the rooster will not crow today until you have denied three times that you know me. I'm like, oh, man. So for the sake of completeness, go to Mark 14, Mark 14, So how committed was Mr. Peter? Mr. I'll go to, I'll die for you. <laughs> I mean, think about that. That's quite a statement, right? I will die. I will go to the ends of the earth for you. I will die for you. I don't know. That's not even like a, is that even like a remotely equivalent test? Like, I'll die for you. I mean, if that was, this was a balance, it'd be this huge, like boulder, you know, contemplating death, right? Do you know Jesus? It's like, what the heck? Well, how did that work? Right? This little test comparatively, right? After the big, bold statement he made, that's, that's human. That's humanity, right? That's us. Mark 14:66, As Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with Jesus the Nazarene. Now look at the scenes. This is just a servant girl, by the way. It's not like one of the higher ups was even saying. It's just a servant girl. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you are talking about. And he went out. Onto the porch the servant girl saw him and began once more to say to the bystanders this is one of them but he denied it and after a little while the bystanders were saying again saying to Peter surely you are one of them for you are a Galilean too but he began to curse and swear so think about the, the emphasis now curse and swear I do not know this man you are talking about that's literally about his Starker difference than that you could possibly make. Immediately a rooster crowed a second time, and Peter remembered how Jesus had made the remark to him, Before a rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he began to weep. Think about that. So we know that the apostle, I mean, how many people, I'm not going to say, don't raise your hand because I really don't want to know, but how many times have you said to the Lord straight up, I'm not, I. Lord, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to do that anymore. Some of you are hanging off porcelain rim. Just saying. I'm never going to do that again. And then what do we do? So we know that the apostles lacked commitment, but again, our encouragement comes directly from the author and perfecter of our faith Jesus Christ again the point on the board the emphasis should not be placed on the potentiality of failure but rather the effectiveness of the Lord's Prayer but I've prayed for you Peter's imperfect faith did fail at times but it was never fully eclipsed he always turned again that's encouraging means that we don't have perfect faith but as individuals who have a new creature and a new heart for Christ an affinity we'll always turn. So let's pick up some additional encouragement from Paul. Not out of time yet, but getting close. Go to Philippians 3.12. Just some additional encouragement, maybe ointment for the soul. Philippians 3.12. I'm just going to read this with you. I'm not going to say too much. Philippians 3.12, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. Can't change yesterday, my friends. You can only press on. I press on toward the goal. For the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, let us therefore, as many are perfect, have this attitude, and if, anything you have, if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk, of whom I often told you and now tell you, even weeping, that they are enemies of the, cross, of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite. We talked about appetites recently. And whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on what? Earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state, into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Amen. That's so encouraging. Speaking of power, we need to finish up now. We've moved past commitment. I think you've got the point. Let's talk about power. So our last bullet to be studied is power. Go to uh, Matthew 17:14, Matthew 17:14. This is our first um, scriptural reference from our bullets on the board. Matthew 17, 14. And like every other bullet on the board, all these things are intrinsically intertwined. So even though we're studying them out uh, individually, uh, it's impossible to uh, dissect them uh, in all actuality in, in practical living. Matthew 17:14. when they came to the crowd, a man came up to Jesus, falling on his knees before him, saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic and is very ill, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. I brought him to your disciples, so he's basically demon possessed, presumably. I brought him to your disciples and they could not cure him. Um, and Jesus answered and said, you unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked him, and the demon came out of him, and the boy was cured at once. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not drive it out? So this was probably, I mean, let's face it, probably a point of embarrassment and in, in a Spiritual sense, even like why couldn't we do it? And how does he answer? And this is what I love about Jesus Christ. You can say that you know he was um, a generous man, a kind man, a loving man, but he was also very direct. And if it hurt, I mean, look what he just said. How long am I going to spend with you people? I mean, that's not exactly like the most you know stroking your ego type thing. Like you know, it's like Lord, don't you want to be with us? How long am I going to be with you people? Come on, right? So always remember that about Jesus Christ. He's, he was the lion and the lamb. The lion and the lamb. People tend to go one side or the other, and they get all lopsided, and they forget about one side or the other. And I think it's because for some people, the lion is offensive to them. I don't, I don't know. Maybe they're soft-souled individuals. I don't know. And for other people, the lamb is offensive to them because, you know, they're like militant type people. They can both be believers, but they're just skewed. And the idea is that you've got to be balanced when it comes to Jesus Christ. So he said to them, because of the littleness of your faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, which is tiny, just a little tiny, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. So here's what we can conclude from Jesus' words to his disciples up here on the board that faith is power. Why don't we have the power to, to cast out the demon? Why don't you have the power to cast out, figuratively, the demons in your life? Every one of you here deals with demons. You know, you know what I'm saying. That's colloquialism, right? Everyone's dealing with some demons in their life. Why, can't, why, why don't you have the power to like resist them? Why do you keep going back to this thing or that thing? What's the problem? Faith. Because faith is power. I didn't say that. Jesus just said that. Faith can move a mountain. Now, if that's not power, I don't know what it is. If I say, hey, hey, guys, you ready? Watch this. We're going to lift up North Christian Church. We're going to go to the other end of the parking lot. You're going to say, that guy has some power. Right? But the only thing that would do that is my faith. So faith is power. The reason the apostles didn't have the power to cure the man's son was they lacked faith. That was Jesus' response. Jesus had already given them the ability to cast out demons, Matthew 10.8. A year prior, nonetheless. So it's not like this is like a, something new. Go to Matthew 10.5. Matthew 10.5. Faith is power. That's what you have to remember. Matthew 10, 5. these twelve, These twelve Jesus sent out after instructing them, Do not go in the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter any city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go preaching, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons, freely receive, freely give. You see that? He said, Go do these things. So that means they could do it by faith, because we just saw they didn't actually, they weren't actually able to cast out that demon. Why? Because they lacked faith. The remedy, the the reason that Jesus gave a year later in their failure to have the power to relinquish uh, this boy from a demon was because they lacked faith. So if we put the two together, faith is power. The tantamount, so to speak. So the point of the board, again, faith is power. The reason the apostles didn't have the power to cure the man's son was they lacked faith. Jesus had already given them the ability to cast out demons a year prior. What do you say then? Do you not already have the ability to cast out the demons in your life? I don't mean you're demon possessed I hope you know what I mean. Do you not already have the ability? Yeah. With God, all things are possible. I mean, you might say, but I'm an addict. Or I'm a... I don't know, I'm just a jerk. <laughs> I know, I'm tired. <laughs> I'm tired. Right? We know you're a jerk, all right? You know, I'm a jerk. All right. I cure me from being my jerkhood, right? That's not impossible. The world will tell you, you know, you're always gonna be a jerk. You're always gonna be an addict. You're always gonna be this, but that's bull. That's a lie. That's just meant to keep you in a place that is um, accommodating to the world? Because if you believe, remember what we taught last. you were taught last week, if you stop believing the lies, you now are controlled by the liar. So think about that. The next time you, someone's lying to you, they're trying to control you. you might say, but they're just trying to protect themselves. Exactly. They want you to think they're nicer or kinder or less of a liar, so you give them more what? Trust. What's that all about? They're trying to control you. So your enemies lie to you. That's what they do. That's why I lie, I'll take anybody over a liar. I can deal with a jackass, honest to goodness. If you're an honest, I mean, you might be abrasive to me. But if you're honest, I can deal with you. I, I might not deal with you for very long, but I can deal with you. Is that fair to say? But when you are faced with a stinking liar, that person can't be trusted. How do you deal with somebody that's a liar? I'm not saying we all lie once in a while. I'm not saying that. I'm talking about, you know, lifestyle, this kind of a thing. Your enemies lie to you to control you. Just remember that. So again, faith is power. The reason the apostles didn't have the power to cure the man's son was they lacked faith. Jesus had already given them the ability to cast out demons a year prior. So what What the Spirit wants you to take away is that you've already been given certain abilities as well. You just have to believe it. Don't believe the lie that you can't be delivered from that thing. That's why I hate so many programs, and I'm not, look, I'm not picking on any one thing, but there's a lot of programs out there for folks like addicts that just enable them to stay in the addiction. they're, They're victims of some disease or something. I'm not saying these things don't exist, but I hope you know what I'm trying to get at. The, the, the people that are supposed to be helping them don't help them because they lie to them and they tell them, you know, you'll never get out of it, so just live with it. No, that's bull. With God, all things are possible. And you can take the jerk example. You know, whatever. You can take the jerk example. You can take the thing. And I'm not saying you don't always have some affinity for certain things in your life, right? I mean, but you can be delivered from it. So says the Word of God. But if you don't believe that, guess what? It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you don't believe you can do something, guess what? You'll never do it. That's one of the first things a good coach will tell you. Is that fair, coach? If you don't believe you can make the three-pointer at the buzzer, guess what you're not going to do? You're not going to make the three-pointer at the buzzer. If you don't think you can run a 450 mile, Sean, then you're never going to run a 450 mile, Sean. So stop believing you can't run a 450 mile, Sean. Just do it. He's like, oh man, this is. (laughs) He knows I'm just kidding, kind of. So, what then might our encouragement be? Well, we should find encouragement in a lot of ways, frankly. For some of us lack the power to overcome much smaller obstacles in our lives. I mean, has anybody here been called to cast out a demon? Not to my knowledge. If you do, call me up. That's one of the times. <laughs> call me. I got to see this. Right? This is going to be fun. I'm going to get some popcorn, some coat. <laughs> right? Some of us lack the power to overcome much smaller obstacles in our lives. And it's not because God's power is insufficient somehow, because He is omnipotent, remember. It's not because God is somehow too weak. The answer to the apostles. And our own lack of power is simple. We lack faith. Something we've already seen in our studies. Faith in what exactly? And I think I'll leave you with this. Faith in what? If, Again, the answer to the apostles, and our own lack of power is simple. We lack faith. Something we've already studied. So, faith in what though? And I'll give you this just to chew on over the weekend. Faith in general, but also the power of... Of the Word of God. Do you understand what I just said? Faith in general, but also the power of the Word of God. You had a rough week, did you? Open up your Bible. I swear to you, I swear to God, it works. Open up your Bible, let it wash over you. It doesn't even matter where you start. Just open up your Bible and start reading. It will wash over you. Why? Because the Word... I've got all kinds of scripture here in my notes. I can't get to them because we're out of time. By the Word of the Lord. By the Word of Christ. By the Word of power. By the Word of the Lord. The heavens were made. How about that? How about that, for starters? You don't think that the Word can't solve your problem? When the heavens were made by it, you don't think that your little piddly problem can't be solved by the word of God and you're going to keep going back to the world and your cosmic friends and your disgusting family and your so-called loved ones, you're going to go back to them for comfort. That's where you're going to find your comfort after a long day in a bottle. Where is that? In the, that's that's the that's antithetical to the to the Bible, which is the word, which is power. Have faith that this works, and you will be delivered, because that's where the power is at. Amen. All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this wonderful privilege to study your Word here this evening. We just ask for your blessings as we take all that we've learned out to a lost and dying world, Father, that needs it so desperately. We ask these things in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit we do pray. Amen.